you know, uh, having a good set of priorities or knowing what's really important to a person uh, helps you know what to say yes to uh, in terms of your life. And it also helps you maybe to say even another word that we're not as good at is saying what? No to. To say no to. You know, it's just, it's not a priority. It's not something that really I need to be involved in at this time. And I, uh, I, I think a lot of us at different times have a challenge uh, because we may be a people pleaser or we're trying to just make everybody happy. But really understanding and having a set of priorities uh, is the idea of being able to say yes to something and no to something. Now, if you're interested, uh, we have uh, been dealing with priorities for the last several weeks since the 1st of January, and they're all recorded. Uh, you can listen to them on uh, the crossing site uh, there on your handout. There's some instructions how you can get to that site, and you can listen to those. Uh, we've had a good time talking about them, priorities as it is to seeking the kingdom first, priorities of having a transformed mind, uh, priorities of having a transformed life, those kind of things. Uh, but uh, we're going to move today into a practice or a matter of practices. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been handing out a bunch of sheets of paper. Many of you have taken them on how to study the Bible, and I don't have any more of those yet today, or have any of those today, uh, but they're on the Facebook page, the Real Life Facebook page. Those Bible study methods and plans are on the Real Life Facebook page. You can go get them and download them. And then again, I have today a prayer guide on how to pray uh, several different ways, or not just one, you know, I've said a lot of times that uh, I thought the only way you could pray is, you know, you have to be quiet and sit down and, and close your eyes, and all of those things don't work for me, right? <laughs> quiet, sit down, close your eyes. <clears throat> uh, it just seems weird to me. Uh, and so I've had to, uh, over the years, face that and deal with that and uh, uh, try to understand that it, that's not the only way people have prayed. It's not the only way. Uh, so uh, I have another handout today for you today if you want it. I've got about 65 of them. It also is on the real life uh, page uh, for that. But we want to move to practices. Uh, in fact, on your handout there, there should be, it looks like this, priorities. And again, that's what we've talked about already. And then practices. Practices. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the things in life, I think, is that uh, we may know things and we may have priorities in matters, but the ability to practice them uh, is another thing. For me to say, it's important for me to eat healthy. That's a priority. The practice, not so much, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, you can say, well, it's a priority to eat right. I, I you know, I, I eat, I just eat. So, uh, you know, whatever's there. Uh, so it's the practice of it that sometimes uh, breaks down or falls down on that, that we want to be able uh, to practice right. So I want to tell, talk to you today about the challenge that there is in learning to practice. There's a particular thing that I want us to look at today that I think is a real challenge in this area. And I'm not going to try to minimize it uh, because that's uh, the whole problem. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, the challenge of things, we tend, if we're not careful, to minimize it. I, I put a, a word search in Amazon uh, yesterday with the word simple. And I'm amazed at the books that tell me how simple things are. Uh, let me give you a couple of them. Uh, uh, taxes made simple. Sure. Yeah. Herbal weight loss made simple. Yeah, I know how you lose weight. Eating herbs, you just, you don't eat anything. I like this one. The simple guide to having a baby. Yeah, all you moms. How about this one? Clinical biostatistics and epidemiology made ridiculously simple. I can't even say those words. I mean, that's a book. I'm not kidding. You go to Amazon, look it up. 
or, or a simple guide to paleo autoimmune protocol. I don't understand any of those words. <clears throat> a simple guide to paleo autoimmune, autoimmune, autoimmune protocol. A simple guide. Now, you know, there's things in life in terms of the practices that we participate in that are just challenges. And it's my judgment that sometimes we minimize it. And we minimize the challenge and make everybody think it's not that big a deal where we really, as we talk about these things and talk about doing them, we use an example sometimes we talk about we end up out kicking our coverage, you know, that we're talking it further than we can, can go. And so I was thinking about this. In minimizing things or, or making things simpler, that's not a bad idea. I remember this years ago. Uh, a friend of mine had a car phone like this. Uh, his name was Ralph Neighbor. Wayne Bolenbacher and I knew Ralph and Linda, uh, or, or Linda and Wayne and I knew Ralph. We'll get that. That, that Ralph Neighbor was a, a great Baptist, a pastor in Houston. And uh, he called me one day, was going, coming to our church for a meeting, and he said, uh, Cliff, I'm running a little late. I'm on my way. I said, Ralph, where are you? Now, this was about 1980, you know, somewhere around there. And I said, Ralph, where are you? And he said, I'm in my car. And I go, right. I'd never seen a car phone. I, you know, I didn't know they existed. Uh, the only car phone I ever had is one time I stopped at a pay phone, reached out my window, pulled it in, <laughs> called someone and said, I'm on my car phone right now. <laughs> well, I sort of was. Uh, Ralph had, one, I mean, it had this huge thing on the transmission thing there, and there was a battery as big as me in the trunk. And, you know, I mean, I thought, well, who will ever have these? But thankfully... We simplified and minimized some things, and we got here. Remember Danny Glover with the bag phone? <clears throat> so you remember the, anybody remember the bag phone? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a lovely thing to have, wasn't it? Looked like a guy carrying a purse all the time, <clears throat> you know? And then we went to the, to the brick. Uh, or it looked like a walkie-talkie. I, I remember a friend of mine had one of those, and I borrowed it one time when I had to go to Asbury Seminary for a meeting, and I, I actually made a phone call on it. Thought I was in outer space somewhere, you know? And then now we're here at the iPhone, you know, and, and we're glad. That's, that's a, a minimization of making, of making th things simpler. I'm glad for that. You know, I've got one right here in my pocket. It's got the, I could, you know, we could run the space shuttle on it uh, just about. But there are some things sometimes that we minimize or we make simple in our practice that I think uh, probably uh, uh, doesn't help us. And I'm going to try to ask us to consider this a matter here on this matter of a correction here on a practice that I think, just my, my opinion, you have to agree with it, a practice that I think uh, that we've minimized and we've failed to recognize its um, reality, if you will, uh, and it has to do with grace. In fact, here's what I'm going to say here on this, is experiencing the full expression of God's grace. I've talked about this on uh, different times but I wanted to kind of finish this series here on this one and go back to our conversations with Jesus as it relates to experiencing the full expression of God's grace. And I think if we're not careful that we've oversimplified this. This is a practice actually we're going to look at, but I think we've oversimplified uh, the matter of grace. Uh, when I hear students, uh, sometimes when we're in chapel at, at our school, they'll begin to pray and they'll say, God, we thank you for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. And I think, and is that it? That idea of grace. 
And so we're going to look at this idea of this practice that may have been minimized. That in your thinking and my thinking, I'm certain, has over time gotten minimized or oversimplified, if you will, and not really recognize, if you will, the the kind of the greatness of it. Uh, Gary Shaw and I were talking the other day. Mostly I was talking. Gary's listening. And uh, that's kind of the way it works. he and I were talking about, uh, uh, you know, retirement things and stuff like that. They, they have financial uh, planning deal. And I was amazed when he told me a story. He said, Cliff, uh, investing is a little more complicated uh, than you might imagine. And, and I said, yes. And he said, it, it has a little more uh, uh, a complexity to it that you might know. And he said, for instance, let me ask you a question, Cliff. He said, let's say at the age of 18, I got it right here. Let's say... Let's say at the age of 18 that you began to put away $2,000 every year in your retirement. And you did that for six years or seven years. Or is it 18 18 to 26? Eight years. You you put away $2,000 a year for eight years. You just did it from 18 to 26 and you stopped. And your brother... Mike started at the age of 27 and put away $2,000 at the age of 27 until he was 65. Who has more money? Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. It's a trick question, you know. He said because of compounding interest, the person who put away $2,000 starting at 18, by the time they got to 65, they would have $2,288,000. However, the person that waited until they were 26, and this is me, this is my sad story, by the way, <laughs> and some of you, <laughs> I, could, I could see you going, okay, <clears throat> carry the four. <laughs> if the person at 26 then invested not eight years, but all the way to 65 with compounding interest, they would only have 1500000 That's amazing to me. Because compounding interest starting at 18 instead of 26 makes a huge difference. See, that's really understanding, if you will, the full understanding of investing. I mean, we all know we ought to save money and we ought to put it in. But, but really... Understanding the challenge, understanding the complexity, understanding the reality of saying, look, if you started that at 18, and by the way, why didn't somebody tell me this when I was 18? Or did they? Right? Probably did. Yeah. I I knew everything when I was 18. I forgot to tell you that. Yeah, didn't you? That that the idea of, of, of the full expression of investing, that that if you started at 18 and then eight years and then let it ride. You're going to have more money than somebody that starts at 26 and invests every year till they're 65. This is off the Dave Ramsey website. This idea of experiencing the full expression of God's grace. The, the full understanding of investing isn't just making, put money. It's when do you put it in? How soon do you put it in? And how often do you do? So here's what I want to look at this matter of experiencing the full matter. Number one here is the understanding. And I've having, I'm having some trouble with the Mac today. I, I know that's a, a huge surprise, isn't it? This first understanding of God's grace is grace as pardon. I don't think we have too much trouble with this. 
I don't think we, we have too much trouble with this idea. We know that God's grace, which is His kindness, His mercy, His determination to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is God's kindness and mercy and determination to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Is this understanding as what God does for us. Grace is pardon. Uh, we, we get this, I think. We know lots of verses, and uh, there are all kinds that refer to grace here, if you will, to pardon. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. So, so the idea of grace as pardon. When I hear people talk about the grace of God, this is typically uh, what they say. Uh, here's the other verse. You go Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Titus 2, 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14, that says, The grace of God has appeared, granting salvation or forgiveness to all men. The grace of God is associated, if you will, with pardon. We understand that. This is part of it, but I'm afraid that what's happened is that we've oversimplified the grace of God. We've minimized the grace of God. That this is primarily the only expression we understand about it. We understand this, right? Pardon, forgiveness, I get it, I'm glad. You know, I've, I've seen bumper stickers before. You know, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. That, we understand that, we have that, that matter. And this aspect, if you will, of grace is really based in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is, this is the, the work of grace that is, the, it is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's finished, it's done, it's completed. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to uh, 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 try to do anything to be better. You can experience the grace of God as the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. And it is associated with forgiveness. We understand that. Here's the one that I think that we don't hear about and the one I don't think we understand as carefully and the one I want to kind of climb in on as a practice. And that is this, grace as power. Grace as power. This, remember the first one is, grace as pardon is what God does for us. Grace as power is what God does what? In us. Now this is, a, this is an idea that, that, that I never heard about when I was growing up in church. I, I only understood grace as pardon. That, that God would forgive me if I would ask him to forgive me. So I, you know, basically how I lived my life and maybe you did too was I came to church every week to face how bad I'd been and then ask God to forgive me and go back into it. Anybody with, you go, yeah. My, my, my basic idea was, hey, you need to try harder, Cliff, right? Right, anybody get, go to that church? Yeah, you need to try harder. You're not trying hard enough. Man, listen, I was trying as hard as I knew how to. But there were things happening in my life and in my experience that I had no power over. It wasn't a matter of trying. It was a matter of power. I was involved in something here that was more than me. And so I didn't understand grace as power, as God's operation. I'm going to give some more explanation here in a minute about what this matters. That this is, if you will, based in the continued work. I hope you see the difference here. Based in the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grace as pardon is based on the what? Finished work 
of Jesus Christ. Grace as pardon is based on the finished work. Jesus has completed. It's done. You don't have to worry about that. God's forgiveness and pardon is available. It's based on the finish. But grace as power is based on the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I want to ask you, we're going to look at several verses here in the Bible. I want you to see these, okay? And uh, so if you will, uh, first of all, look at, uh, go to uh, 1 Corinthians. I almost said 1 Corinthians, but I dare not. I just did, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 1 Corinthians. That's how the British actually say it. No kidding. Uh, for, uh, 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 it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're looking at verse 10. Now, there are several categories I'll give you here about how grace is referred to in the New Testament, not as forgiveness, power. I'm going to lift these out. Now, not all of them. I'm going to give you some. These are going to be verses about grace as power, enabling. So look at this here. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 15, for I, Paul writing here, I'm the least of the apostles, and I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we think, well, you know, he's forgiven. That's good. Yeah. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I. But what? The grace of God within me. What's that? Power. The grace of God within me. Now listen, I, and I, I just want to say this. I, I grew up in the church of God, and we have some Nazarene buddies and friends. And I'm telling you, I never heard this about God's power. I heard try harder. I heard get more disciplined. I heard do more, get busy. I never heard, Cliff, you need to be open to the power of God's grace in your life as power. And I'm going to show you how that works. That's a good one, isn't it? Look at 2 Corinthians. Go over one more book. 2 Corinthians. Or 2 Corinthians, if that's the way you say it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul uh, makes this uh, statement um, when he says, uh, verse 12, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we conducted ourselves in this world. How did we conduct ourselves? In the grace of God. Grace again is power. Go to 2 Corinthians uh, 12 here. This is a very famous one, maybe the most famous of all, where Paul is referring to a problem that he's got, a thorn in the flesh. It's a limitation. Uh, it's something that's limiting him. He can't uh, get over it. Uh, in my judgment, I'll just tell you what I think it is. You know, everybody's uh, had an idea about what they think the thorn in the flesh Paul is. I think it's this. I think it's his eyesight. I don't think he ever got over the Damascus Road. I'll tell you why. Go look at Colossians when he says at the end of the book, see what large letters I am using to write in my own hand. Colossians was written by his secretary, our amanuensis, Luke. At the end, he says, see what large letters I am writing with in my own hand. In Corinthians, earlier he'd said, when I came to you, you would have gouged your own eyes out for me. Can you imagine standing before a group of people doing this like Mr. Magoo? How embarrassing. Yet when that guy opened his mouth and that began to, began to preach the power of God 
began to be known. And so he's saying, look, I've got this thorn in the flesh. And I asked God three times to get it away from me. It's limiting me. And look what God said. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for your need. Now, Paul's not sinning here. Paul doesn't need to be pardoned. Paul needs to be empowered. Paul needs strength and power through this thorn in the flesh. And he says, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Isn't that the strange thing about God is that when you finally admit your weaknesses and open your life to Him, He gives you power. Remember I've said this a bunch, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but it's still true, that it's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. It's your inadequacy that creates the capacity for God to work in your life. You, gotta get, you and I got to get out of the way. You, you and I have to say, God, I've got to open my life to your grace as power for my life. Every one of us. Every one of us. This idea of my grace is sufficient for your need. Whatever your need is, I've got grace that will empower you. Look at this other one here in first uh, or in uh, uh, Hebrews four sixteen. Uh, keep running to the right. Hebrews four sixteen, and it says this: For we don't have a high priest who cannot be uh, 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 cannot be affected or cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may receive help or we may receive mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. Isn't that interesting? He said, let us draw near with confident throne of grace so we can receive mercy and find grace to help. Is that forgiveness? That's how I, every time I've ever heard people quote this. It's this gr throne of grace that says you come and, and, and you can be forgiven. You get mercy. But he says mercy and what? Help. Help. Look at it there. Help in the time of need. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm simply saying this. I think, again, what we've done, we've minimized. We've made grace only about pardon. If it is to receive mercy, there's pardon. If it is to receive help, that's what? Power. If going to this throne of grace is to receive mercy, that might refer to, to forgiveness or pardon. But to receive help... Is power. And notice here, I, just, I want to translate this for you because it's very interesting. When it says that we can find help in the time of need, and the word there in Greek means in the good time. That means that you can find grace and mercy and help in the good time. In other words, the time to defeat or to deal with whatever's going on. We, we think of time of needs. So we, we've just been so affected by this understanding, and I'm glad for it from the Reformation, that God forgives us because of Christ's sake, that God pardons us. We've been so affected by the Reformation that we've forgotten the notion that God's grace is also for power. And you know what the net result is? Because we don't know this. We just tell everybody, try harder. Get more disciplined. You know, Martin Luther said this. I, I love him. He's a great guy. He said some crazy stuff, but he, you know. He said this. If anyone, he was a monk... In a, in, a, in, a, in a monastery and went to confessions and prayed and fasted and slept on a stone bed with a picture of hell painted above it. 
Don't you think he'd have been a fun guy to be around? Picture of hell on the ceiling. Why? Don't you forget. Don't you forget. So I had a lady in my church one time say, you know, Cliff, you need to preach some more hellfire and damnation sermons around here. Said that to me. That's why I don't have any. I thought, you know, if you've been a Christian this long, do I have to scare you to be good? Is that what, it's, what it is? Do I got to just scare you into being good? Luther was scared into being good, but he had no power. And he said this, he was a monk and he went to, his, his confessor thought he's losing his mind. He would confess his sins and then walk, oh, I forgot one, and go back. It's a fascinating story. He said this, if there was ever someone who could be saved by monkery, which is a strange word. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm just telling you what he said. If anyone could have ever been saved by monkery, it would have been me. But he had no power. So what we've done is we failed to tell people there's grace and mercy to help in time of need. When you get into that situation or I get into that situation, you know what? There's mercy and grace to help. There's power here. There's power available for us. Look at Hebrews 13 real quick. And if you want more, I'll give you some more, but I'm just, I, I want to move on. <clears throat> I love this one. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9. Do not be carried away by various and strange teachings. For it's good that the heart be strengthened by what? Grace. How's the heart strengthened? By grace. In Acts, about 16, when Barnabas goes to Antioch, the statement is made, and when he saw the grace of God among them, he rejoiced. What, what, what does that look like? He saw the grace of God among them. There was power for them to live together, Gentile and Jew, slave and free, bond. All of, he saw the grace of God empowering a community of people that could live together. And he rejoiced. What do people see when they see us? You see, th this idea of grace as power is threaded through the entire New Testament. And, I, and I'm sort of, John Wesley certainly taught this and, and discussed this a lot, but I've, I've, I've been amazed at, uh, there was a guy, I, you know, you gotta love the British. There was a guy named Augustus Toplady. I wanna do some research on how he got that last name. <laughs> I don't know. But he wrote a very famous song, Rock of Ages. He also was one of the most um, vigorous opponents to John Wesley. Back then, I guess it was the thing to do, they did write little pamphlets and books, and, and uh, Wesley started what they call the penny pulpit, where he'd have his sermons uh, written or typed out, or not typed out, but printed off the printing press or whatever. I don't know. Leave them. Here we go. Um, <laughs> something. You got him here some. Penny pulpit, and uh, it has, listen, some of the most virulent, hostile communication against Wesley for teaching that God's grace 
could, in fact, empower you to live. But when you read that song by Top Lady, listen to this. Whether he did it on purpose or not, like, I don't know if he repented or not, but one of these lines in this song speaks to this matter. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. The double cure. What? Save from wrath. Pardon. And make me pure. Power. That's what Top Lady wrote in the song. That the power and grace of Jesus Christ brought with it a double cure. See, it not only resolved the issue of our guilt and our sin, but it gave us power to live a life pleasing and honoring to God. I'm just amazed at that. I'm amazed that Wesley didn't point that out. (laughs) That he's saying, "You're, you're, you're, you're arguing for the very thing that I said. I'm not saying try harder. It's it's the power of the blood that brings double cure, safe from wrath, and make me pure. This isn't try harder, guys. I'm going to talk to you how it works. I uh, have told you about my dad a few times. As he was in the last days of his life, a song, again, I'm always amazed at how our theology is always put in songs. It's probably why we ought to sing more. Some of us, not there. Some of you should just hum. But when my dad was in uh, some of the really last days of his life, couldn't read, couldn't pray much, couldn't stay focused, and I would go over and try to read to him. And I thought of the song, and I said, uh, "I, I, um, it's just part of my weirdness. I, the, the title of the song I just can't stand." Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It's smart. It's wise. But it isn't sweet all the time. Right? I I, I just want to say, okay, it's not always sweet to trust in Jesus. It's a challenge. It may be wise. It may be smart. It may be uh, uh, advanceable. But it isn't always sweet. So don't give me that. So when we sing it, I go, Tis up to trust in you. I change words all the time. I do. There's another song, You're All I Need. That's not true. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. God said, Adam, you need a wife. You need a husband. That's not true. He's not all you need. Oh, boy, now we're getting heretical. So don't sit close to me if you don't want to hear some words change. I'll change them. I'm not singing that stuff. Not. So my dad and I are talking. And my dad loved music and loved poetry and all that kind of things. And the line in that song came to me. Oh, for grace to trust him more. You ever ever had to sing that? I need the grace of power to trust you more. I looked at my dad and I said, you know, I bet this song has never meant half of what that line means to you now. 
As my dad was crying out, oh God, give me grace to trust you. Oh, for grace. Not for energy, not for discipline, not for effort. But for grace, some of you are facing some things. You're not going to be able to do this by your own willpower, screwing up that willpower some more or twisting it up. You're going to live in all kinds of trouble. Why don't we call out to God and say, oh, for great grace as power to trust you more. Now, I want to get practical on this. Uh, because there's something here that I've talked about occasionally, but this is a it can be ethereal. This idea of grace as power, just, okay, sounds like good preacher talk. Wow, it doesn't work though. We go to lunch and then who cares? It's been fascinating to me when I went to seminary to Asbury and some other things years ago that, that I realized that the things that people had been telling me were spiritual disciplines was never the way the church referred to them. The church fathers, never. And I recommend it, reading the church fathers. There's a great book called When the Church Was Young. Or Dr. Thomas Oden, Classic Christianity. Any of these books are going to be a helpful correction to some of the phony, baloney, good time, rock and roll stuff we're hearing now. The church fathers, when they discussed prayer, and you know, I'll give them to you quickly. We're coming back. Prayer, studying the scriptures, Christian fellowship, fasting, solitude, and the Lord's Supper. They call these things means of grace. Now, what is a means of grace? A means of grace. I'm going to give you Wesley's definition. We'll move up, but I'm going to give you mine here in a second. The means of grace are outward works or actions ordained by God to be the ordinary channels by which he conveys to men and women grace. These are the outward signs or actions ordained by God to be the ordinary channels by which God may convey to us grace. Now, I say it this way. The means of grace, here, here's my word, and you, you, know, you can do what you want to with it. I think I got it here, yeah. The means of grace for me, these actions, these things are ways, this is going to sound a little out, but here it is, are ways to give God access to my life. This is again. The means of grace are ways for me to give God access to my life. Listen, the world's got access to us, don't they? The radio, the television, everything going on. Our minds are bombarded. We've got jobs. I understand all that. But there are some ways that God has ordained for him to access our lives, to be involved, to be participating in the means of grace that we are giving God's presence access to our lives through these prescribed ways. The means are a way of opening my life to God who is present. I, I hear students say this, and maybe I've said this here, but you know, I, we go to chapel. 
And somebody will pray. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll speak to us. And I'm thinking, he's been speaking all day. Okay? Our problem is that we've done, identified certain places that we give him what? Access. Instead of saying, wait a minute. This God is active, participating in the world. And if I'll listen to his word or spend some time speaking in prayer or be in Christian fellowship with others or even maybe fast a meal or fast media, which is more important now than food, or taking the Lord's Supper or get quiet and have some solitude. He's always there. He's just waiting for you and I to use the means. You know, last week uh, we were gone and, and uh, we were going to Kansas. <laughs> and uh, it's not that bad a deal for me because, you know, I get in the hotel and tell Becky, here's the car, go see your mom. I'll see you on a few minutes, we'll go to lunch. She really carries the burden of that. I mean, being with her mom and all. I just don't want to be in the way, I tell her, you know. <clears throat> but we were driving up to Kansas. And uh, we're driving along. And I'm looking at my wife while we're driving. Now, I don't usually do that because I always say uh, when you're driving, it's a great time to talk to your wife or husband about something serious because you don't have to look them in the eye. Right? Yep. Can't talk to you, dear. Keep talking. I'll listen. But I looked at her a couple of times and I thought, you know, she looks exhausted. Becky and them had their, their office. Not just Becky, but Lance and a couple of others. Of course, Lance doesn't work too hard, but you know. <laughs> His mom's right there. Yeah, she knows. They had eight funerals in two weeks. Eight. And I'm looking at her and I'm saying, I'm going to make an executive decision here. We're not going to Kansas. Let's go to Roman Nose National uh, not, State Park. And uh, so we called Mary Jane, who is a state park connoisseur. Because I was worried I'd been there a few years ago and it wasn't that great. <laughs> And I called and said, is it great? So we, we just turned, we went to Woodward for lunch. Can you believe that? <laughs> turned around, went back to the park. And I said to Becky, we're going to practice. I didn't tell her. We're going to practice a means of grace. It's called solitude. My wife needs nature and solitude and time away from me. <laughs> and quiet. And some time with God's word. And some time to pray. And put the phone away. You know what? We, we try to do that on vacation. We try to do that. It's okay to do that. And we're going to do that some more. But listen, the means of grace, of prayer, solitude, Bible reading, fellowship with other Christians, fasting, and the Lord's Supper are available to us all the time. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Here's the deal. I love this. I think this is the, yeah, from Finland. The wind is always blowing, but you must hoist your sail. I told you when I lived in Louisiana, I learned to sail a little bit. And I realized that as a sailor, my only job basically is to get that sail up. My job is not to produce the wind. That's not my job. My job is to get the sail up. And so when I think about these activities, Bible study, prayer, fellowship with other believers, fasting, solitude, the Lord's Supper, that's me raising the sail. I don't, I don't get to predict how much wind's going to be behind all that. But it's my job to hoist the sail. 
It's my job to participate and to say, these means of grace give God access to my life and I want to participate in them. It takes discipline to do them. I, you know, I don't just pray when I feel like it. I, I, I discipline myself to pray. I don't just read the Bible when I feel like it. I don't just go to church when I feel like it. I don't just, you know, take solitude. I, I do those understanding that they're the means for God to access my life. As I'm reading His Word, He's speaking to me. As I'm praying, I'm speaking to Him. When I've been with other believers, I've heard God speak to me through other believers. I've been in times whenever I've taken communion when God said, here's what I want to talk to you about. All of these different matters. You see, it's, it's the wind is blowing, but you have to hoist the sail. You and I have to be willing to raise the sail to say, these are means that God has ordained for access to our life. Now, I want to give you two, two different ways to do this. One is, uh, two expressions. The prudential, <clears throat> the prudential means of grace. We've all experienced this, so I'm not going to take long, but here, you know, you had a time in your life when you're going through some difficulty, or maybe now, or, or you're in a situation where there's trouble and difficulty. And you're driving down the road, and you hear a song that just speaks exactly to that situation. Ever had that happen? Yeah. That's called the prudential means of grace. They're unpredictable. You can't anticipate them. God in his mercy just somehow decides you need this right now and I'm giving it to you. Now, often for me, he's a lot later than I'd planned. You know, I've been saying, hey, I've been needing something for about a week. What, what's, what's the holdup here? That's the prudential means of grace. We all have experienced, or somebody will call you and say, you know what? I don't know why I'm doing this, but God just laid you on my heart and I've been praying for you. What does that do to you? What do you sense at that moment? Encouragement and what? Strength. What is it? Grace as power. See, when you hear that song or when that person says something or someone comes by to see you, there's encouragement and there's a sense of lift and there's a sense of, of encouragement, of power. And now you say, I can go on. What is it? Grace as power. Here's where the problem is. Some of us have tried to live the Christian life like that. From prudential experience to prudential experience to prudential experience. I've had students come to me and say, Dr. Sanders, um, I've lived all my life up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Because all I've really participated in is the prudential means of grace. And I said, well, that, that's not going to work. This is how God gets access to your life. You want to grow? You want power? You want God's grace for power? Then there is what we call the instituted. These are regular and established by Jesus. We see him praying. We see him in the word. We see him in solitude. We see him in fasting. You know, is Jesus just kabuki theater? Or does he really need to pray? Or does he really need time alone? Or does he really need time in God's word that he helped write? Does, does he really need that? Does he need to fast? Come on. Is this all kabuki theater? Or is this real? Jesus participated in the instituted means of grace. We can see it all through the scriptures. So in my life, I've, 
I, I've realized that, that what I have to do is like the sailor to say, every day when I get up, I'm not asking, do I feel like praying? Do I feel like reading God's Word? No, I'm raising the sail. And you know what? If God wants a hurricane, good for Him. If it's a four-mile-an-hour wind, just puffing along. That's fine, too. I don't control the wind. I don't control what God is able to do. But I am raising the sail because I know that God's grace through these instituted means will bring what? Power. Say it with me. Grace as power. You don't hear me saying try harder. I'm just saying open this book. I'm just saying take some time to be with God. I'm just saying spend some time with some other followers of Jesus. Here they are again, searching the scriptures. Prayer. The Lord's Supper. Fasting. Solitude. Being with other believers. Now, I've got on the back of your hand out there some links. You know, believe me. I mean, I think you believe me. I'm not paranoid. Well, my friend tells me just because you're paranoid does not mean they're after you. So it doesn't mean they're not after you. John Wesley has a great sermon on this. John Piper's site has a great article on this matter of the means of grace. And on the reform site here by the Gospel Coalition is an article in sight on this. If you grew up in a church like I did, I never heard this. Ever. I never heard about grace as power. I never heard about grace as the instituted means, they call those spiritual disciplines. And you know what the problem I have with that is? Spiritual disciplines carries the notion of accomplishment. You see, Eric, the reason you're not growing is because you're not as disciplined as I am. That's the whole problem, right? So you just need to try harder. Who becomes the focus then in our efforts? Ourselves. However, if these are instituted gifts from God that says you participate in these and these give me access to your life. Access to your life. Let me tell you a real quick story and I'll get you out of here. Not a... When Gary and I were at the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, I told you a bit about this. There's a guy named Nick Ripkin. If you have a chance, he's got a book called The Insanity of God. Nick was a missionary to Somalia and South Africa and other places. And basically, <clears throat> kind of burnt to the ground after his middle-aged son died of an asthma attack in Somalia on Easter morning. You talk about needing God's grace as power. This guy needed it. And so as a consequence of this, it just wrecked him. And then the government killed so many of the Christians, there were only four Christians left in the country. Felt like an absolute failure. And so... <clears throat> He and his wife decide they'll come back to the States and try to just get recalibrated and figure out what to do. And they came back and said, we'll come back and we'll make devotional materials uh, for people to grow in these countries. Nick said, that's what his wife said. What he said, I was trying to find out, can you serve Jesus in hard places? That's what I wanted to know. I wasn't sure. I thought the only place you could serve Jesus in is an easy place, kind of like this kind of like the United States of America. So he goes on a journey to interviewing people who serve Jesus having grace as power. He goes to Russia. Long story short, he goes to Russia and he meets 
a pastor. They, they say, we want you to meet this guy. He's got an unusual story. So bring Nick to, to this guy. It's, a, it's several miles outside of Moscow. And he sits, he said, I want you, and, and he comes in to meet you. I want you to sit in this chair. Why? He said, this is the chair that I was in when they arrested me. What do you mean? Some years ago, he said, the, the, early, the, the closest church to our town was three days walk. I decided I would start teaching my boys the Bible, my wife, and we'd sing songs just our, in our home. And uh, he said the authorities began to find out because people started coming. Could we come? Could we listen to the stories you're telling? And could we sing the songs with you? And they got going. And Nick made this interesting observation because when they said to him, you can't do this, this is not a church. And he goes, this is not a church. We're just reading the Bible. Nick made this interesting observation. Often the enemy detects spiritual life before the believers even do. Yeah. The enemy recognizes spiritual power before his peop God's people even do. So they warned him. They threatened him. He wouldn't quit. So they put him in prison. They took him a thousand kilometers away from his home. They took him to the worst prison in Russia. 1,500 hardened criminals in this stinkhole. Terrible conditions. You can read about it later if you want to, but, but just un, unthinkable. The food, the, the, the waste, all that. Every morning, Dimitri would get up as the sun was coming up and turn east and raise his hands in worship to God and sing a song his father had taught him. And when he sang, those criminals began to throw things at him, human waste at him, curse at him, scream at him, everything they could do. He wouldn't stop every morning. Every time he'd find a piece of paper, he'd get a piece of charcoal and write down every Bible verse he knew. Every Bible verse he knew, writing it down. He would stick it on a, an old wet area here in his, in his cell because it would stick. And he said, as soon as the guards would see it, they'd come tear it down and beat the living daylights out of him. Every time he would do it. This went on. For 17 years. They tried everything they could to break him. They said, if you'll just sign this sheet of paper and say that, you're a, that, that you do not believe in Jesus and that you're a spy for the American government, we'll let you out. He said, I won't deny my Lord. So they decided what they would do is they went to his house where his wife and kids were and they got some clothes that she had. They found a woman they put those clothes on her and they drug her across the open yard outside the prison, her screaming and yelling, making him think it's his wife. They take her into another room and rape her and kill her. Can't take it anymore. 17 years, every day, raising his hands to God in worship, writing down the scripture every time, every time he got a piece of paper for 17 years years he did this he finally said I give up I give up and that night he sat on the edge of his bed he tells the story of how distraught he felt that he couldn't be faithful that he couldn't remain and he said as he did he went into prayer the next morning the guards come and they say we've had it's taken us a night to get the paperwork ready for you to sign and he stands up and stiffens his back and he says, I'm not signing it. I'm not signing that paper. 
And they said, are you out of your mind? Your wife, your wife has been raped and killed. He said, listen to me. This is when Nick, when he, Nick is telling the story, Nick is so impressed by it. He just said, and the man of God said, he kept referring to Demetrius as the man of God. And the man of God said, and the man of God said, you're a liar. My wife and my children are alive. The Holy Spirit of God had me hear their voice last night as they prayed for me a thousand kilometers from here. And I won't sign your paper. And they said, who are you? He said, I'm a child of the living God. And they said, then we're going to kill you. They start dragging him out to the middle of the courtyard. They're going to execute him. And as they're dragging him out, 1,500 Hardened criminals stand up in their cells at attention, raise their hands, and begin to sing the song they've heard for 17 years. Every morning of their life, they sing and praise God. 1,500 of them. They drop him in the courtyard and said, we don't know what to do with you. We have no way of dealing with you. And they sent him home. Now, that guy's got to know something about grace as power. Maybe we could get a little dose of that. Where at our jobs, we can find the grace of God to resist talking about other people. Or maybe we can find a little dose of that. And whenever we see something on television, we think, you know, we shouldn't be watching this, that God's power comes and gives us the ability to say, I'm not, I'm not going to look at this. Or, or maybe just the grace to be kind in our neighborhoods. When Nick told that story, Gary and I were there. I mean, there wasn't a dry in that place. To think that the Holy Spirit of God, he finds out after he's out that at that same moment, this wasn't a hallucination, at that same moment, his wife and boys knew something was wrong. And they knelt down in that house by that chair and prayed for their dad. That's why he said, Nick, I want you to sit here. So Nick said to him, what happens here? What do you do with persecution? They kind of laugh. They say, well, persecution just happens. He said, as soon as I went to jail, my wife lost her teaching job. My kids got kicked out of school and other small things like that. That's what they said. Other small things like that. He said, we expect it. But we know God's power. God's grace. It isn't that they're greater people. They're better people. They've tapped in to understand that God's grace is available in power. He's available for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this... Uh, Understand, we don't want to minimize grace to just pardon. Although we're thankful for pardon. How thankful we are, our sins are forgiven. That you've enabled us through your great gift on the cross to forgive us. But oh Jesus, would you help us to understand and see and experience and give you access to our lives through the means of grace so that we can experience grace as power not just trying harder, not just discipline or, or self-willed turned up, but that you genuinely might release us from that try harder mentality 
to rely and open our lives and give you access through the means of grace. Lord, I need this every day. We all need it every day. And we ask that in this new year that you would help us with this practice. The practice of a fuller understanding of grace. Grace as pardon and grace as power. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.